You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. Okay, before we get to this week's show, I have a big announcement. Since starting the show, I've heard from listeners who tell me they listen and re-listen, sometimes up to three times, to catch all the guests' recommendations, especially on some of the info-dense episodes. And we have one of those coming up on performance and menopausal hormone therapy that you will not want to miss. Anyway, we have put together a Hit Replay Podcast Guide subscription service where you can get a clearly organized guide to all the advice and info presented on the show delivered straight into your inbox each and every week. It's not just a transcript because those are really messy to read because I read them, I know, but a guide put together by me personally with all the bullet points that you need to know from that week's episode. It's also a great way to help support the show and the work we do. So you can find out all about our new Hit Replay Podcast Guide subscription service by going to feistymenopause.com and you'll see a tab for Hit Replay Podcast Guide subscriptions. Hit that and learn all about it. I'm really pretty stoked about this. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, we dove into dental health and the unique dental hygiene needs of performance-minded menopausal women. Well, this week, we're talking all about eyes. And to be honest, I really didn't think menopause would have much of an impact on our eyes. I don't know why, because it literally affects everything else. And during the show, I learned that it's affecting my own eyes. I have been blind as a bat. And yes, I know bats really aren't blind, but you know what I mean? Forever and ever. I have been wearing glasses since I was six years old. I started wearing contacts in seventh grade. I've worn them ever since. And recently, mm -hmm, like so many people, I have started to need some readers for the fine print, which happens to everyone, regardless of sex. But after a lifetime of wearing contacts super easily, to the point where, like, honestly, I literally forget that I wear contacts, they've started bugging me a little more, which is annoying. And that's because the change in hormones during menopause you guessed it, can cause changes in our tears, in our eye health, in our vision, pretty much everything. Anyway, we get into that and much more in this week's show with Dr. Christine Begley. Christine is a listener of the show and an optometrist with Marion Eye Center in Carbondale, Illinois. She is super passionate about her peepers and loves to talk about eyes. As do I. Many, many moons ago, I was the managing editor for an industry magazine called Contact Lens Spectrum. Just a little inside baseball for you all. Anyway, it was a super fun, enlightening conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. All right, before we get to it, very quick reminder, you can find us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. We have that private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook group that you can join the conversation day and night. And if you have ideas for the show or feedback, hit me up at hitplaynotpause at liftfeisty.com. 
Thank you, as always, for the hearts, the five-star ratings, and the positive reviews. If you like the show, kindly subscribe and share it with your friends and on your socials. It really, really helps us to grow. Before we get to it, super quick moment to give extra thanks to our podcast sponsor, Inside Tracker. My LDL cholesterol rose pretty dramatically the last couple of years of the menopause transition there. And I used some of their supplement advice and it has been on a significant downward trend. Uh, I also recently heard from a member of our community who was having terrible lower GI issues, especially while running. And her inside tracker report helped her discover that her white blood cells were high and that led to her discovering a food allergy she didn't know she had. She changed her diet accordingly. No more GI issues. So thanks again, Inside Tracker, for your continued support of this show. Speaking of sponsors, enough of me. Let's have a few words about those awesome sponsors and get on with this interview. Okay. Well, Christine, I'm so glad you reached out to me and I'm so glad to be doing this show because as I mentioned to you, and, and few people probably realize about me, as I'm kind of an eye geek. I, <laughs> yeah, I spent um, a couple of years, it wasn't a long tenure, but I spent a couple of years as the managing editor of Contact Lens Spectrum magazine <laughs> many lifetimes That's ago. That's awesome. Yeah, great. Yeah. And it shocked me. Well, A, it, it was very inspiring how resilient the eyeball is. I got a real good picture of that. And how many women will burn their eyeballs with curling irons? Yeah, that, yeah, we see that curling irons, uh, sometimes a a tattoo eyeliner that goes around that. Yeah, it can, it can be bad, but there's also a lot of good things about eyes, which we'll cover (laughs) today from one eye to another. You know, it's, it speaks to the resiliency of the eye. Um, Yes. You mentioned maybe somebody had super glued their eyeball, which is another. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I've seen that more than once. And it really? still shocked me to no end that someone would put their bottle of artificial tears in the same drawer that they keep their super glue. I mean, why would you do that? But what yeah, happened? Uh, what is the outcome of that? So the outcome is usually pretty good, but it is a tedious process of, of usually cutting the eyelashes and then picking the glue off just one little bit at a time. It's it's not a pleasant experience for the patient or for me. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody okay. likes to see that. If you, if you have, everybody, if you take nothing else away from this, please <laughs> separate those. Your junk drawer is filled with many things, I'm sure. And we've all put your eye drops in there along with your drawer. Okay. That, that will work. That's a good way to start this. Yeah. Um, So, so let's start maybe, you know, because I am coming in with this, like everybody knows what myopia is and all they say, you know, but like, Mm -hmm. let's start there. Cause I'm sure like myself and a lot of people don't know this either. I have been wearing some sort of corrected lenses since I was five or six. I was very myopic with a little bit of an astigmatism, but, uh, you know, I started wearing contacts when I was in seventh grade. So you have a long history yeah. of, of working with your field. So why don't right. we start there? So you've been seeing eye doctors all your life. So, you know, 
myopia or nearsightedness, that's often diagnosed in childhood. And, um, you know, it's usually kids that can't see the board or can't see to make their order when mom takes them to McDonald's, that sort of thing. So we typically see that. And childhood and most prescription changes related to nearsightedness happen in childhood. Um, and then there's the farsighted kids who come into us usually with some reading problems or sometimes with some, um, you know, just some vague complaints about school. And then it turns out they're a little farsighted, um, which is called hyperopia is the 10 cent word for that. Um, with, with hyperopic kids, it's often easier to kind of mask their focusing system. Children have very strong focusing systems and can often use that focusing system to uh, kind of cover up a little bit of that farsightedness. Um, and so that kind of leads us to adulthood. Um, well, let's far just before we leave that, are the, what are the, what's, is that because the, um, the shape of the eye is not quite right or the, what's happening with the refraction that is causing either of those two things in childhood? So in a nearsighted child, um, the eye is a little bit longer than it should be. So when the light comes in, focuses through the cornea and the lens, it's focusing a little bit in front of the retina. It's not directly on the retina. Um, with hyperopia, farsightedness, the light is focusing a little behind the retina. So the eyeball is too short or the cornea and lens combination just creates a situation where it's focusing a little bit off. So corrective lenses are put into place and then the light focuses right on the retina where it should. And astigmatism, um, which we actually didn't and astigmatism is um, a little bit more complicated because the cornea, the front of the eye, instead of being perfectly round, spherical, it's a little bit more oblong. It's a little more football shaped rather than basketball shaped. So really, there's two prescriptions happening at perpendicular from one another. So that makes it a little bit more complicated of a prescription. Um, when an eye, like say someone has perfect vision and we see great far away, and then we have to look at a book or a phone or whatever, our focusing system engages to look at something up close. So we see clearly far away, we focus up close. And um, what if is you that? I, go, I, I, I just, I, I, sorry if I keep interrupting you because I'm so curious no, about okay. this, but like when you, you keep using that word focusing system, and that is curious, like when I'm mountain biking, I'm looking way, way, way far. And then sometimes I have to look really close and read my computer. Like what is happening mm -hmm. to allow me to do those two things? That is called accommodation or the layman's term is focusing okay. um, because our eyes are really set for hunting and gathering. For looking far away most of the time with occasional looking up close, our okay. focusing system is designed to work occasionally looking up close. You know, gotcha. we tend to have more visual demands in our current society with phones and computers and tablets and a lot of electronic devices. So we're engaging that focusing system a lot more than, than normal. Um, so, you know, all of these things can look very different when our focusing system starts to noticeably change. And that happens in our 40s. So when someone is um, myopic, nearsighted, you know, and they've had glasses all their life or contact lenses, sometime in their 40s, it seems strange to them that they start having trouble seeing up close through their glasses. They can pull their glasses off and kind of move things around and see just fine. But through their glasses, they're having trouble uh, focusing. Now, mm -hmm. a farsighted person, you know, maybe a farsighted person that's managed to kind of mask that farsightedness by just 
using their focus system a little bit more than normal, they start noticing that things are blurry far away and then really, really blurry up close. It's really the same mechanism. And people who've never needed corrective lenses will also start noticing yes, this reading and they, issue. They, reading starts to change. Right. I, I really think it's a lot harder on farsighted and, and normal-eyed folks when they get to their 40s to suddenly have these visual problems. You know, myopic kids, you're pretty used to wearing glasses and then you just shift over to bifocals and it's not that big of a deal. But boy, when you've had great vision all your life, having to wear reading glasses or eventually even glasses full time, it, it's kind of disheartening because you've always prided yourself on having great vision. So, um, But those changes happen because our focusing system changes. Now, anytime we focus on something up close, we have to engage our lens inside the eye. The crystalline lens inside the eye is in charge of all that focusing. Um, there are two areas of the eye that contribute to the overall prescription of the eyeball, the cornea and the lens. And that lens has some flexibility. It has some movement to it. And that's what we use to look at things up close. But that flexibility changes. Um, you know, there's some theories that the lens itself hardens and isn't able to flex as much. There's some theories that perhaps it's the um, kind of the areas of the eye that assist in that movement that become inflexible or that even there's resistance or just that the lens gets too big that starts to change over time and, and it doesn't have enough room to move. They're not really sure. That amazes me that we're still not really sure. Yeah. Right? I know that it is kind of interesting. So um, it's just hard to to visualize and appreciate in living eyes. So and we can't really figure it out from you know dissecting eyes after the fact. So yeah, and, and so it's so, still theoretical. That which is a, which still because I mean if anyone figures out a surgery for that they're going to be a multi billionaire, right? Because, we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, because everybody is. Uh, do you have one? Kind of, yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, that's, so we'll, we'll talk that's about exciting. that. In a we're going to have breaking, we're going to have breaking news here. Yeah, some but, breaking news. But it is, I mean, I, for, for active women and our audience is very active. It can, it can be uniquely disruptive, I think, you know, to, to have these changes. I mean, I've run into people at bike events who are like, they feel kind of screwed, right? Like, because they can't really read their computer as much and they're trying to make it bigger and they don't want to be whipping out reading glasses because they're in a bike event, right. you know, <laughs> I do monovision and I do okay, you know, which is and, like. And monovision kind of, has some drawbacks too and, and that I would think are pretty important because you lose a little bit of depth perception and that seems like maybe kind of scary for you. It can be a little bit. I can, I can read the yeah. trail really well, but it, but it is a little, you know, it's definitely a little noticeable. Um, so it's just been like, what, so, what, what can people do? I mean, like, what are our options? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about some options. So, you know, glasses are always an option. And um, in some ways, glasses handle presbyopia really well because we can put the distance prescription in the top. We can put the intermediate for computer in the middle and the reading in the bottom. We can do that in a no line. So nobody has to know their bifocals, but you, but like you said, for active women, unless they are, you know, strapping those babies onto their face, sometimes it can be not a real practical solution. So contact lenses are also a good solution. Um, you like know, multifocal people, contact lenses? Right. Some, you know, some athletes that I see are 
perfectly content with doing distance only contact lenses for their athletic events. Um, and, you know, because they don't have to look up close. But like you said, in your situation, you still have to look at the bike computer. So monovision is an option. And in that situation, we fit the dominant eye with your distance prescription, and then your non dominant eye with Typically not a full reading prescription, but But the drawbacks to monovision, you know, we have two eyes for a reason. We're binocular creatures. We're really designed to use our eyes as a team. And that helps us with depth perception. So when you're losing that depth perception, sometimes that can be a real problem, especially in sport. Yeah. So um, the final solution for contact lenses um, is a multifocal contact lens. And that works really well. There's a lot of different brands, a lot of options. Uh, there's different lens designs from manufacturer to manufacturer, which is great because not every eye does well with every contact lens. So there's some options. If you've tried them once and didn't like them, try them again because there's, there's a lot of options out there. Contact lens wear in our 40s and 50s can also start to feel different because we've had some changes to our eyes in addition to just the focusing stuff that's going on. Um, there has been just a little bit of a study on corneal shape changes in postmenopausal women. Um, sometimes the cornea steepens a little bit. So that means a contact lens that maybe you've worn for the last 20 years that has been super comfortable, all of a sudden starts to feel a little tight or uncomfortable when you're in your 50s and you may need to switch to a different brand. Um, but typically more of a problem than corneal shape changes is dry eye. Dry eye is I just- I have noticed that. I have definitely huge, noticed that. It's, it's such a prevalent problem for everyone because of our use of computers now, um, but it is especially difficult for women. I start seeing women start, it, start to complain about dry eye problems usually in their 20s. And by the time uh, we get to our 40s and 50s, women are dropping out of contact lens wear because they just can't find anything that's comfortable enough. Hmm. So um, dry eyes is it's just a huge issue that we are constantly trying to figure out why do we always have so many dry eye problems? And with dry eyes, it's kind of in two big categories. Um, often, you know, we kind of think of our eyes being dry because there's just not enough tears and there's just a deficiency in the tears. Um, and, and that is true to a certain extent, but usually the problem is more that our tears are out of balance. Um, you know, you kind of think of tears as being just really watery, but mm -hmm. tears are more like salad dressing. There oh, is a water, there's a watery component to the tears and an oily component to the tears. And um, when that's out of balance, you know, just like you need a little bit of oil in your salad dressing to stick to your lettuce, you need some of that oily component to stick to, so the tears can stick to the cornea and not evaporate too quickly. So what happens, um, you know, you might be asking yourself, why is there not enough oil? And that answer is my bonian gland dysfunction. And that is kind of the big buzzword in dry eye therapies now. Um, my bonian glands are at the base of the eyelashes, and both the top and the bottom lid. Um, makeup folks call it the waterline. And that's where little tiny glands secrete an oily secretion to kind of contribute to the tear film. That's that, that oil part of the tear film. Um, and we have, we tend to have a lot of problems with those mybomian glands getting damaged over time. 
Um, there a lot of theories why that happens. Makeup certainly can disrupt the meibomian glands. Um, contact lens wear, the friction on the back of the meibomian glands and the back of the lid. Um, and also just kind of the stressors of our current lifestyle, spending a lot of time on the computer, spending a lot of time doing near work. We tend to really not blink as often when we're concentrating on um, computers or reading um, and our blinks are incomplete. So all those can contribute to a lot of dry eye stuff. And then on top of it, women have hormonal changes going yeah, on. Yeah, I was going to say, I've never and, noticed it before, but it's definitely become yeah. present. And I've yeah. been a writer all my life. Yeah. So you throw kind of the hormone thing in there and that just really messes up a lot of the, um, the comfort that you were able to achieve in contact lens wear. So there are solutions for all of these problems. Um, you know, one thing is to really kind of take a look at your contact lenses. If you've been in the same brand for the last 20 years or Easily. so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, may, it may be time to switch to something that is more hydrating. Um, and a daily disposable lens is a really great option because mm. they, um, you know, you're not dealing with old funky lenses. You're getting a fresh pair every day. Right. Um, contact lens solution sensitivities are really not a problem for you. You know, contact lens solutions, there's preservatives in them to keep us healthy and safe, but those preservatives can also cause a little bit of corneal toxicity. So having a lens that you can throw away every day, that really goes a long way to um, helping with the dry eye situation. Um, there are also plenty of really great over-the-counter artificial tears that you can add. Um, you know, sometimes environmentally you're in situations that are a lot more dry and just mm -hmm. like you may need to use more chapstick and more hand cream, you know, adding some artificial tears are a really great option. If those things don't seem to be kind of doing enough to get you the comfort that you need, um, there are some prescription medications. Restasis, that, that one has been around for a long time. Um, and then a newer one is Zydra. And those work a little differently than just over-the-counter artificial tears. It really helps your eyes kind of create better quality tears. And so um, they, they work pretty well. Excellent. No, that's that's good advice because that is definitely, definitely something that um, that I have noticed. And I have worn contacts and forgot, I forget that I wear them, you know, until, until yeah. recently where I'm like, I'm, I'm whipping out the, the artificial tears way more often. So maybe I'll look into the daily disposable. That does sound intriguing. Yeah, it's a, it's a great option. Um, and then kind of to revisit the meibomian gland health, uh, you know, there's, because it's an oily secreting gland, there's, uh, it's not surprising that some studies have shown that omega-3s can kind of improve that oh, interesting. Um, quality. I was going to uh, ask tier. about those later. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's been some yeah. interesting, the Women's Health Initiative actually found that. The, yeah. The, yeah. And, and it's directly related to, um, to the meibomian gland function. Um, another study that I just found yesterday, kind of after we were emailing back and forth, um, you know, HRT has really some um, conflicting reports on how much it helps with dry eyes. Mm -hmm. um, some, some studies show that dry eye complaints are improved with HRT, and some studies are showing that it's worsened. Um, but mm. a more recent study is showing that if the dryness is caused primarily by meibomian gland dysfunction, then HRT is really helpful. 
Oh, interesting. Interesting. And then so another is, little... Is there a, before we leave omega-3s, is there a, a, a gram amount that, that you've seen useful for? Uh, I, I mean, there I think is, and I, I don't have that handy. You know, actually, the, the study itself had, had um, was looking at fish. Five to six four-ounce servings every week lowered yeah. the risk of dry eyes by 66%. So yeah, and that will maybe, actually look up some of that. That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. Another little tip that I like to recommend for my bony gland dysfunction is um, just a little bit of daily maintenance. You know, making sure that you're always cleaning any makeup off that you wear tried to avoid putting makeup in the waterline. And then my favorite tip is something called a Therapearl eye mask. You can find it at CVS, Walmart, Walgreens. They're Mm -hmm. little pearly masks that have instructions on the box for hot or cold. And the hot application is wonderful for my bony gland dysfunction. You know, you want it on there for six to 10 minutes. And this is also um, a great, you know, it's very relaxing. And a lot of my patients say that it really helps them go to sleep at night too. So that might be good for That's a great idea. I have, someone sent me one to test at some point. I was like, I'm not sure what to do with this. But, and it was more for like, oh, if you have puffy eyes, like, okay, whatever. But that is actually a good, um, that's a good tip. Yeah, it is. It's great. It's really uh, keeps those little meibomian glands flowing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, is that hormone next- related? I mean, you said like, if it's, is, is, is there a hormonal compunction component to that? You know, um, I, I don't think that that is kind of fully sussed out yet. Um, so I I would stay tuned for that, you know, and, and one thing that I thought too, after listening to your podcast about, um, some, um, of the the gut health stuff, I'm wondering what our tear biome is, you know, I think that that's going to be kind of the next big thing that, that they'll start looking at, because I'm sure that that changes too for us over time. Yeah, no, that's, that is a, that is a good point as well. So, so um, that's kind of covers uh, the, you know, we've got uh, glasses, contact lenses. So let's talk refractive surgery as far as a solution uh, for presbyopia. Yep, you hinted so, that. Yeah. LASIK is um, really designed, you know, and that's the big one, that the, the big refractive surgery that everybody hears about. And that's really designed to help distance vision. Yeah. Um, some brave souls decide to maybe go with a monovision um, in LASIK. And I don't usually recommend that because the nice thing you can uh, attest to wearing monovision is that you can take them off and put, you know, distance glasses on or put distance contact lenses in if you want some other options. But once that's, um, you know, lasered into your corneas, you're kind of um, using that monovision for life. So um, LASIK is a great option if you really want that clear distance vision, but you're still going to be relying on reading glasses for up close. Um, so this is, like you said, it's like kind of a million dollar problem. If someone can figure this out, they're going to be very, very successful. Um, so they've been looking into it. Another uh, surgery that is designed specifically for presbyopia is called a corneal inlay. And so they're actually putting just a very small surgical uh, change to the cornea. It's done in one eye. So the other eye stays distant. And then the inlay allows a little bit of corneal focusing. Um, so it's kind of a different system that's, that we normally use, which is the lens. 
Um, it's got very mixed results. I, I think it would have taken off by now if it was going to be successful. So I would really, if it's something that you're considering, just read about it, make sure you're comfortable with it before moving forward, because I, I, I don't think it's um, really as successful as they had initially hoped. So let me see what else I got here. So um, what is the kind of the biggest hit as far as finally really fixing presbyopia can be attached to cataract surgery. When we have cataract surgery, um, the crystalline lens is removed from the eye and replaced with an implant. As I said earlier, that lens inside the eye, that's one of the biggest refractive surgeries. So if we take it out when it gets a cataract without putting anything in, you end up with big old bubble glasses afterwards. So they have to replace it with something. But technology has really improved those interocular implants. And where we used to just kind of put something in that was close to what the prescription should be, and then finish it up with glasses. Now they're able to really precisely measure the axial length of the eye, the prescription, and everything that goes into it to get a very accurate implant going in. So you can upgrade from a typical cataract surgery to a multifocal surgery. If you have astigmatism, you can even do a toric multifocal, which gives you fixes that astigmatism and really does well for up close. Um, you know, these lenses have been around for a while now and just keep getting better and better. So I think that that is, um, if I have a patient that is in their 50s and they're kind of thinking about LASIK, I usually actively talk them out of it and say, wait a few years until your cataracts are bad enough to have surgery because this is going to be an option that makes you much happier. Why wouldn't that be something people could do earlier? Expense is usually kind of the, the limiting factor there. Yeah. And um, and taking out a healthy lens yeah. is not something that, you <laughs> know, a lot eyes, of so don't have to go and, yeah. yeah, right, right, right. So because it is, you know, it's it's a little bit more involved surgery. You know, LASIK is to the cornea, the cornea inlay. It's, it's all exterior to the eye, you know. And there is, even though cataract surgery is the most common surgery done in the United States, it's still... Um, a little bit more involved than than simply going in and having a little LASIK done. So, um, so it's usually in conjunction with having cataracts removed. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. So let's talk sun because I know that that is something that is also important. Speaking of cataracts and other things, um, yeah. you know, our audience is a lot of us are out in the sun an awful lot on right. bikes, running, swimming, all of the above. Yes, and um, I think dermatologists have done a great job explaining to people the importance of using sunscreen, but I feel like my colleagues and I are maybe not uh, letting the world know that sunglasses are just as important. So protecting your eyes from the sun is um, it, it's, it's really up there with the kind of things that um, are going to protect you from potential problems later in life. Um, so. UV light has been associated with all kinds of things, including, you know, eyelid malignancies, cataracts, age-related macular degeneration, um, the blue light spectrum, which gets a lot of press right now as far yeah, as what we're, yeah, you know, uh, electronic device, and, mm -hmm. right, 
you know, and and if you kind of think about how much exposure we get, you know, illumination is measured in lux, and we get 50 to 70 lux exposure for, of the blue light spectrum from electronic devices, and that's over 100,000 lux from the sun. So we're getting big, big, big exposure to um, that dangerous blue light spectrum from sunlight. So if you are, you know, really conscientious about always throwing your your uh, blue light glasses on when you sit down in front of a screen, but not ever wearing sunglasses when you're going outside, you're really not helping. <laughs> Put the sunglasses on too. So wearing sunglasses um, and for people who really are active in such a way that sunglasses are prohibitive, um, AccuView has a contact lens that has tr transition in it, which, allow, which creates a lot of... Um, protection, UV protection and blue oh, light spectrum protection. So that's an option too. And, you know, it's not all doom and gloom if you haven't worn sunglasses all your life, because we are luckily talking about a population who is prioritizing health in a lot of other ways. Right. Um, you know, it's really active subset of people and uh, nutrition is a really important thing too. So I would say that um, while sun is um, something that we need to be very cautious of, there's other things that we can do to protect our eyes from, I'm kind of thinking cataracts and age-related macular degeneration. You know, cataracts are um, something that literally does happen to every single person. We all get cataracts if we live long enough. Whether um, they become visually significant, there's a lot of variables there. But Can you, um, can you explain all... to the audience what an actual cataract is? Yes. So the lens that we've talked a lot about today, um, that is very clear when we're children, perfectly see-through. And then over the course of a, our lifetime, exposure to UV light, exposure to blue light, um, it just starts to yellow and change with age. Um, you may notice in your, even beginning in your 40s, but especially in your 50s, that you notice glare a little bit more when you're driving at night, um, mm -hmm. that headlights have starburst effects. That's because the light that's going into your eye isn't going straight through that lens anymore. It's scattering around all over the place because it starts to get cloudy. Gotcha. Um, and at a certain point, that cloudiness, that um, haze in the lens becomes visually significant and glasses and contacts can't really clear things up anymore. So the lens is removed and replaced with a new one. Gotcha. And we kind of talked about how how that can benefit your refractive error in the long run, too. Right. So. Um, Age-related macular degeneration is a little more worrisome. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, a genetic predisposition to macular degeneration, but um, there's a lot of things you can do if, even if you do have a family member, grandparent or parent that had macular degeneration, there's a lot of environmental things that play into that too. Sunlight is one of them. So we covered that pretty thoroughly. Nutrition is a big one. Um, I'm a big believer in trying to get um, nutrition from real food sources mm -hmm. rather than relying too much on supplements. But, you know, sometimes you got to hedge your bets and and um, there are supplements that are really helpful for age-related macular degeneration. Um, AREDS2 is kind of the, the one that's been studied the most um, mm -hmm. 
It is. I wrote down everything. Yeah, I've written, written, written about that yeah. for AARP the yes. magazine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can and, include um, a link to that story in the show notes. Yeah, and that, it is that about would the, be great. That would be really the antioxidants helpful. that are included in that. that yeah, have high been antioxidants. Yeah. Uh, lutein and xanthanin, which are yep. kind of the, the eye antioxidants. Um, but, you know, the Ayurveda's 2 formula, if you're not diagnosed with macular degeneration, can be a little bit of a heavy hitter. It's yeah. got a really high quantity of zinc, especially, which can, you know, be a little bit hard to tolerate. So I don't really recommend it for if you're just kind of looking for general eye health. You know, totally. Thank you for specifying that because I don't think that those high level of antioxidants are a good idea generally. You know, I mean, um, but if you have, if you need them, great. It's like medicine, but it's not something like a daily vitamin just to pop. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you can get your, um, you know, if you're kind of conscientious about your food intake, I think you're getting most of what you need. Um, I would say that omega threes, you know, I, I live in the Midwest, so that's the one thing that I definitely take because I'm, I'm not getting three to five servings of fish a week. So, um, you know, I would say add that if you're, if you are not, uh, living in a place where you're having a lot of seafood, um, then, add the omega-3s, but I think that some of the other antioxidants, um, uh, zinc, lutein, xanthanin, I think you can get those from food sources totally. most of the time. Totally. I mean, like eggs, uh, if you have salmon, there was, uh, you know, fruits, vegetables, I mean, uh, your leafy well, and, you know, everybody talks about carrots, that whole thing, <laughs> you know, I cannot tell you how many a times bunny wearing glasses. <laughs> I eat my carrots, but that, and while we do need vitamin A, certainly, you know, most of us really don't have to worry about vitamin A deficiencies and the whole carrot thing. It is actually a myth that um, came from the British Royal Air Force in World War II. So when um, they discovered or they equipped their planes with radar and started having pilots fly at night, they circulated the rumor so the Germans wouldn't realize that they were using radar. They circulated the rumor that they were giving their pilots pilots really just huge quantities of carrots and so this myth has really stuck around for 80 years and people still think that carrots are kind of the go-to eye food but really if i had to pick one food it would be leafy greens like kale or spinach that's that's the most bang for your buck Excellent. Not carrots. That's hilarious. It's funny. Things just get that life, right? And and no one even knows where it came from, but it's just repeated and like into eternity. That's really funny. Yeah, it's really funny one. So yeah, I think that um, making sure that I I really don't want to overemphasize the sunglasses, but really I do think that that is an important part of um, eye health get yeah, their sunglasses and, on. You know, is the, you know, if somebody has, if somebody is out there listening and hasn't been super great about that, is the damage done, the damage done? Or, you know, what, you know, is, I would certainly connect with your eye doctor, um, mm-hmm. have the retina looked at, make sure that there's no signs or changes of early macular degeneration. Macular degeneration in the dry form, there really is no treatment And can you explain that too? Because there's two kinds, there's a wet and there's a dry. So let's talk. So everyone understands what we're talking about. Dry is the more uh, common form and most of the time less severe, um, but also no treatment available as of yet. 
So we talk about prevention, nutrition, um, exercise, and sun protection, not smoking. Those are the big ones that we talk about. And what causes it? It's the uh, the, the small vessels in the eyes, right? It, it, well, you're thinking wet. Oh, so yeah, dry macular degeneration is um, when the the photoreceptors and the the retina, especially in the macular area, which is our central vision, that's that's where all the important stuff happens. That's our fine vision when we recognize faces, when we read, when we look at anything that that is not peripheral. That's all happening in the macula. And those photoreceptors work hard. And so basically what happens with um, age-related macular degeneration is there are, there's metabolic waste that isn't handled well by the eye anymore. Mm-hmm. And that leads to something called drusen or little lumps inside right. the, uh, the macula. Um, and that can create a situation that's ripe for macular degeneration. Um, so having that looked at by an eye care professional is really important. You want to know where you're starting out. Um, They'll often do a scan of the retina that will let us look exactly at all the layers of the retina, let us see if there's any drusen or any changes that may be um, kind of a precursor to macular degeneration. And then, um, you know, and then the supplements would be a good idea. So the more advanced form of macular degeneration is the wet and that is a situation where there's fluid and or bleeding in the macula. Mm-hmm. And it can be much more visually devastating. But there's treatment for that. Um, there are it, injections that are um, really amazing how successful those injections are at improving the vision if there's not already a lot of scarring from previous damage. So just keeping watch to to right. be uh, to use an eye pun, just being on top of it, making sure you're seeing your eye doctor on on a yearly basis, um, and really monitoring for those changes. Well, that's a that brings a really good point because I have been seeing an eye doctor since I was like seven, right, or maybe mm-hmm. six. But there might be women in this audience who have not ever seen an eye doctor, right? I mean, because you can just go to CVS and buy a pair of readers, you know, one point five or whatever, like that'll help you read and and not pursue you know, like, I'm sure that they're out there. Like what, at what point should you 100% absolutely go get to get your eyes checked? Yeah. If you haven't had your eyes checked in the last five years, go get your eyes checked. And then really once, once you're in your fifties, especially sixties, you really need to be connecting with your eye doctor once every other year. Yeah. Maybe more if there's something going on. Right. Well, they're also checking for, I mean, glaucoma, you know, the little puff of right. air that they do, right. like all these kind of tests that they do. Yeah, there's a lot of, of ocular health concerns that need to be addressed as we get older. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. 
and they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like Feisty Menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support, and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the Otter is stuffed, with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter's taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match. And then use the code hit play, all caps, one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot, and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos, and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, 
plus even more cutting edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. Is the... um. Is that formation of cataracts the only reason that night vision becomes more difficult? Or is it also because like our eye uh, pupil doesn't dilate? Change, well? Yeah, there's a change in pupil size too. You know, when you'll see kids and young people and it just seems like they're right. all pupil. <laughs> My daughter sometimes I'm like, do you have any kind of iris there? Because right. I've only seen a black hole in your eye. Yeah. Yeah. And so as we get older, that iris is a muscle and it just changes. And so we, our pupils don't dilate as much in low light situations. Um, and so we're not getting as much light in. Then we throw that cataract in there. It's not letting us have as much light come Night in. Driving so, becomes harder. Yeah. Mm-hmm, you know, it, we can't read in the dark anymore. <laughs> you know, you're at a restaurant everyone's fun. like with their phone flashlight. <laughs> Yeah, so lighting is really helpful for those situations. What do night driving glasses correct for? What do they help with? So usually the night driving glasses kind of address the um, the glare that's created by oh, okay. those kind of those early cataract changes. Oftentimes the glare is the first thing that's noted with uh, some of those uh, cataract changes. You may still be like reading 2020 on the eye chart, but you feel like you can't drive in the rain to save your life anymore. Right. right. And then I'm glad you said that the iris is a muscle because I did want to ask, it came up in our, one of our membership groups. If I exercises like exercising your eyes does anything, is there anything to any of those methods where I don't know, I don't know, massaging my eyes. I'm trying to focus or doing, I don't even know what I'm doing with my eyes to do those exercises. You know, I kind of looked into some of of what you had mentioned um, and I don't think that those really have any merit. Um, there is a subset of optometry called vision therapy. And, and I do think that there are some benefits from those sorts of, of eye exercises, but it's a little different. You know, those are specific working on uh, visual problems that can be improved by um, training the focusing system and um there, it's a little bit different, but for presbyopia, there's really nothing that can change that that system change because um, that lens inside the eye, it's it's just really doesn't work the way it used to. So, right. as much as I'd love to say that you could eat your way or exercise your way into not needing reading glasses, um, there's there's no way to do that. But I did want to mention um, the drop beauty which is kind of a new thing on the market for presbyopia. Vuity, V-U-I-T, yep. Um, And it is uh, a drop that actually is kind of a repurposed glaucoma medication that allows um, the visual system to see 
up close a little bit. Um, it's kind of got mixed reviews. I think for some patients it works really well, but it has to be kind of the ideal setup to really get you without reading glasses. Uh, use it once a day and it helps your focusing system work without needing reading glasses for a few hours. Uh, some people get report that they get all day without needing any reading glasses and some people only get, you know, half day. Um, and some people find that it's just not enough change in their focusing prescription to be able to make it work. But it would be if you really are wanting to try and get at least some time away from reading glasses, it may be an option. Two questions there. Can it be used with contacts and is it prescription or OTC over the counter? It's prescription. Um, it can be used with contacts in this way. You'd have to put the drops in, you know, uh, 10, 20 minutes before you insert contact lenses. So it's fully absorbed before you use it. Right, right. That makes sense. That's intriguing. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I've only had a few patients that I've prescribed it for. And like I said, I've got a few mixed results and talk to other colleagues to get a little bit more feedback on it before the show. And, you know, I, I think it, it works for a certain subset of, of patients, but it, it'd be worth maybe talking to your eye doctor about. Excellent. Is there anything yeah. else that you thought that our audience needs to know about eyes that we haven't addressed? I, I think we covered a lot. We did. <laughs> <laughs> we did. No, it's, it's, it is, it's all, it's great. It's, it's interesting to, uh, to talk about all these things because you know, menopause and midlife kind of intersect with each other, obviously, and right. it's hard to tease out. But, you know, certainly there's contributing factors to both of these things for how well we yeah. see or don't. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, I appreciate so, so much being on the show. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Me too. Well, that's our show. Join me next week when I sit down and talk to Barbell Strength Coach and podcast co-host of More Female Strength, Cassie Neiman. We talk about, you guessed it, female strength, lifting heavy, and much more. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. And don't forget to check out our new podcast guide subscription service. See you next week. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.